Well, good morning, Ocean View. Welcome to the third week of our series, Who Do You Think You Are? And we're asking that question, what is God's truth? Who do you think you are versus who does God say that you are? In the week one, we talked about uh, in Christ, we are a masterpiece. Uh, In the second week, we discovered that through the power of Jesus, we are overcomers. And this week is our third truth. Jesus says that we are salt and light. Let's pray together. Father, uh, please guide us into all truth. Help us to understand who we truly are as your children in the family of God. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know who you are, because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Who do you think you are? Uh, You know, if you're a disciple of Christ, a committed follower of Christ, God has called you to be a change agent, to be a divine influencer in this world. Who do you think you are? Jesus says that you are salt of the earth and that you are the light of the world. You're not just salt of your community or the light in your city. You're salt of the whole earth and you are light of the world. When we realize who we are in Christ, we will know what to do. Matthew 5.13 uh, in the NIV translation is, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Salt of the earth. Now, now what does that mean? Is it good? What is salt? In the context, we have to kind of go through the context. First century Roman Empire, what is the context of salt? Where did the salt come from? Much of the salt was actually ocean water that was dried on flats. As you can see in the photo there, uh, people, they still do it in parts of the world. The salt dries, the salt is there, and then they they bring it all together. Uh, There were also salt mines, salt mines in the Roman Empire. And uh, what could happen, though, is salt was so valuable. It was extremely valuable. And what salt sellers would do is they'd mix it. They'd mix it with gypsum or something else, other impurities in order to make it out. So the crust on top might be pure salt, but down lower might be less salt. And salt, sometimes it could get washed out. Different things would happen. So sometimes it would lose its saltiness. Salt was known as the second most important commodity on earth. The sun, everybody believed, was number one, but salt was number two. Because of that, um, it was, well, it was because of what it could do with, uh, because they didn't have refrigeration, right? Salt had that preserving capability. In ancient Rome, people were often paid for their labor in salt. Uh, it was extremely valuable. That's where you get the phrase, today he's not worth his salt. It actually goes back to Roman times where Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. Now, it doesn't mean that you're a salt-of-the-earth person, and you're a really good old boy, because Jesus was saying you're a really bad old boy that was changed by a really good old God. Because of that transformation, you should be a divine change agent in your world, a Christ-empowered influencer in the earth, across the earth. But not allowing your saltiness to be diluted by the influences of the world. What does salt do? Salt does a number of things. Salt preserves uh, meats, pickles. Uh, My grandkids love pickles. And it's just cucumbers with salt on it. And they kind of, really? That doesn't seem the same thing. Salt preserves. 
Jesus is the divine preserver, helping people to find eternal life, to live forever with God in heaven. Salt melts. You know, a pathway is icy, you throw some salt on it, lowers the uh, freezing point, and it melts. The warmth of God's love can melt hard and cold hearts and soften them to hear the things of God. Salt creates thirst. Uh, you know, you, I don't know, you sometimes go to places and they put peanuts out and all that salty stuff. That's so you'll buy more drinks. Um, salt, salt makes you thirsty. Sometimes we can be so full of God's transforming love, we can create a divine thirst in other people. They might say, what is it about you? What do you have that I don't have? Why are you so full of joy? I want what you have. Salt creates thirst. Salt also heals. You got a boo-boo on your knee? Well, go into the ocean. And I remember, you know, swimming lessons and stuff. Oh, I've got a sore. And my swimming teacher said, that's good. Get in the salt water. You had lessons in the salt water. That's good for you. It'll heal. Well, you know, that is true. And uh, I remember getting my wisdom teeth out. And the surgeon, the first thing he said to me was, swish with, uh, gargle with salt water. Keep it going in there to clean the wound out. Salt heals. When we're filled with the Spirit of God, we can be a healing agent in the world to people who have been hurt by religion or turned away from God by other things. Salt also purifies. In a very impure world, you should be an agent of purification, representing the kingdom of God and holiness in a very impure world. There's a fellow by the name of Joseph Lister. Back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he was a British surgeon working at the Glasgow Royal Infirmary. Now, you look at Lister, Listerine. Joseph Lister did not invent Listerine. However, Listerine was called Listerine because of Joseph Lister. Uh, Lister uh, was, uh, uh, provided great advancements in the field of medicine. There was no such thing as sterile surgery in Lister's day. They had no understanding of germs and bacteria. Surgeons would wear the same apron all the time that they did surgeries, and the blood would get spattered on them. So the higher profile of the surgeon, the more blood on his apron. And you could tell who the best surgeon was or the, the most prominent because he would have the fully bloody apron. You didn't want to have a surgeon who had only one drop on his... No, <laughs> I don't want you. Okay. Lister, however, was disturbed by the high proportion of patients who died from post-operative infections. He came, became convinced that tiny microbes, invisible to the naked eye, were causing the infections. And so he began to develop a number of antiseptic solutions with which to treat wounds. And sure enough, the proportion of patients dying from infections decreased. You know, in a similar way, there are evil spiritual forces in our world today. They can't be seen, but they wreak havoc in people's lives. They cause them to fall into temptations. They're moving evil people into positions of national power, manipulating people's emotions, tearing them apart, destroying them. But just as Lister's contemporaries dismissed this theory of destructive microbes, he, Lister wasn't listened to early on. Many people today are ignorant or dismissive of spiritual realities. You have the power to be a spiritual antiseptic to use against these destructive forces. And it's vital that you learn to do so. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. 
Everybody say, I am the salt of the earth. I am the salt of the earth. Amen. Well, what else are you? When I was a young boy, I helped my father with the farm chores. And I had to go out to the barn to feed the calves. Now, it was only 300 feet. But in the winter, that 300 feet was dark. Like, it was dark. And I'm seven years old. I'm supposed to go out in the dark. What could be lurking in the darkness? A dog, a bear, a cougar. We were on the farm. It could be my friend next door who would jump out to scare me. That thought jumped into my mind a number of times. Could be Monsters, Inc. You know, any of those things could happen. But I had a tactic. My tactic was, look, don't look at the dark. Look at the light of the barn. I could just see it around the shed, the light where Dad was already milking the cows. And I just had to walk to the light and ignore the dark around me. You know, people have always been a little afraid of the dark. And that's why we have night lights. Helps us to move around in the house at night. The dark can be a scary place. The dark can hide scary things that I don't want to face alone. The dark can rob me of my courage. The dark can steal my hope. People have discovered that the world can be a very dark place. A place where scary things hide. A place that robs me of my courage, my hope, my faith. Henry Thoreau once observed, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Just struggling to get by hour by hour, day by day. Maybe a loved one dies. Friends and family move away. We struggle with divorce. We lose our jobs. We may face cancer or some other overwhelming disease. It can be a dark world. And darkness in Scripture has always symbolized sin and evil. It can be difficult to live in a sinful, evil place. What is the right way to go? Who can know the way to goodness? You know, it can be difficult moving in the dark. In Matthew 5, Jesus says these words, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. We can think of being light of the world as a lighthouse. Like that's probably more familiar to us and uh, we think of the lighthouse. The light is out there, it's outshining, and it's warning people. Well, they didn't have lighthouses in Jesus' day. Jesus was speaking into the first century context, small rural villages. In the Palestinian home, they would have, you know, just a block house. It would have one window to allow light into the house and the door. But at the end of the day, they would have to light a lamp because it's just a pitch black cave. Now, there'd be a container of some sort probably clay, and it would have olive oil in it with a piece of cloth for a wick. They would light the wick, it would draw up the oil to burn a feeble light, but in complete darkness, the light was, was helpful. Well, however, without a lighter or matches, you can imagine how difficult that would be. They'd have to get embers from the fire if they were cooking, or they would keep that lamp burning all the time, keep oil in it, keep your oil in the lamp, and keep the fire going and they would spend time getting their oil lamp lit. So if they ever left the house, 
What they would do is they would take a bowl and put it over the lamp. It has a little hole in it to create air, but if wind or anything came along, it wouldn't blow that light out. They wanted to keep it there. But that bowl was only when they were gone. When they came back in the house, they wanted that bowl off so it had light. When you're in the house, you don't use the bowl. When you want the benefit of the light. So as Christians, don't ever cover up that light. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't put that bowl over. Take it off. Because you're in the house, you want to use the light. As Christians, don't ever cover up the light. Put it on a stand, on the light stand in the middle of the house so everybody can use it in the way it was meant. Verse 16 continues on from these two, salt and light. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The world needs salt because the world is impure and the world needs light because the world is dark. You are the salt of the whole earth. You are the light of the whole world. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Because you're a light, you don't run from the darkness. You shine into the darkness. Because you're salt, you don't run from the impurities. God uses you as a agent of change, an agent of change. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. That's who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a Christ-empowered influencer. Your life will make a difference. Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter what you feel like. This is what you are. I need to learn more about the Bible. I need... No, no, no. This is who you are. You are salt and light. If you're a Christian, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. These are two motivating statements that tells us how God sees us. There's a New Testament story that will help drive this truth deep into your minds. It's found in Acts chapter 16. As Christians, you don't ever have to force your light to shine. You know, I'm trying to shine. No, it looks like you're trying to go to the bathroom. Because of what God has done in you, when you realize who He is, it's just a natural overflow. You just let it shine. You just are. Acts chapter 16, you got two guys. Their salt and light living impacted anyone who's close by, named Paul and Silas. And they had been transformed by Christ. Everywhere they went, they were telling people about Jesus. Now, the religious authorities didn't like what they were doing, and they said, you guys, you got to stop. They would arrest them, beat them, arrest them, beat them over and over again. But these guys simply wouldn't stop. Now, they were in Philippi, northern part of Greece. Later, Paul wrote his, book to the, his letter to the Philippians to this church. They had trouble with the authorities over some slavery issues. They were stripped and flogged, put into prison. Their legs were put into the stocks, you know, where you're sitting down, they clamp your legs in. And you think, uh, okay, you know, they had a bad day. You're public, your clothes were taken off, beaten, flogged, put into a dungeon, legs put into stocks. It induces cramps in your legs. It's used as a kind of torture. They had a really, really bad day. So what do you think Paul and Silas were doing after this bad day? Well, in verse 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Just because of who they were, they let their light shine. 
It was just simply who they were. You know, the moon is just shining beautifully in the, sun, in the sky. But let's get technical for a moment. The moon is not really bright. The moon is just a ball of rock up there. It is reflecting the light. The sun is bright. The moon is simply reflecting the sun. And that is what you do as the light of the world. You may not be bright on your own. You simply reflect the sun, S-O-N. <coughs> as you reflect the sun, others around will say, Wow, I see the light. Let it shine as a natural overflow of who you are and what God has done in your light. Now, <coughs> excuse me, like Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to confess him publicly anywhere and everywhere I go. I wouldn't hide that truth. I would never put a bowl over that light. So you are going to know who I stand for. Hide it under a bushel, hide it under a bowl. No, I'm going to let it shine. Now, if your light's not shining and you're a Christian, you're hiding it. So take the bowl off. You know, there's a number of bowls that we have, I think. One is a covering of reticence. We're just a little bit shy, self-contained. We, we're sound in our faith, but it's just a little bit difficult to kind of let that openness go. We can have a covering of resentfulness. You know, other believers are warm-hearted, good-natured, diligent, capable to do the good works that God has prepared for them to do, but they got a quick temper, ready to take offense, so hasty and resentful, and people shy away from them. So sometimes resentfulness can be in their lives. You know, take that off so it doesn't cover the light. Others, sometimes we can have a covering of self-assertion. You know, we might be upright, honorable, zealous for the gospel, well-fitted to create, do great things, but they hide their light under the bowl of pride, self-assertion. They insist on everything being done in the way they prefer. Makes cooperation impossible. Then there's the covering of rudeness. You ever notice that? Sometimes hard-working Christians, honest, acting along the lines of holy usefulness, but they have a bluntness, an ignorance, a rudeness. Take the covering off. Jesus says, let your light shine. Let it shine. When we're released from the buckets under which we hide, we are able to shine. Here's what happened when Paul and Silas let their light shine, even in the worst circumstances. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Verse 27 says, the jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You know, the jailer was part of the Roman Empire, the Roman uh, uh, war machine. Dereliction of duty, letting prisoners escape. You forfeit your life. Made sure the jailers did their job. Well, this is kind of amazing at several levels. You know, if God broke me out of prison, it would be, I'm out of here, baby. Now, this jailer was a guy who put me in here. He's the guy who did this with my legs. He's the bad guy. He's the darkness. I'm out of here. Might be what so many Christians do today. They look at people and go, darkness, stay away. Secular music, alcohol drinking, tattoo wearing, spiky-haired people, sinners in the bar, and they run. 
Well, darkness isn't something you necessarily run from. When you're light, you shine into the darkness. Verse 28 says, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. That's what they did. They stuck around. They said to the guy that they would have wanted to see harmed, hey, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. They showed love for this guy. That's being salt and light. Okay, I want to be salt and light, but I don't know enough yet. You know, most people don't care about how much you know. They want to know how much you care. When you care, you can minister to people in such a profound way. These guys simply loved on this jailer. Hey, don't hurt yourself. We're still here, man. It's okay. We didn't leave. It's amazing what can happen when you see darkness as an opportunity to shine your light into it. I had a friend at one of the churches I was in, Clarence. Clarence was uh, in the Navy, but he said, you know, when I went to Bible school, uh, my dad had been a biker enforcer for the mafia. And so we, he came to the Lord. He was now a preacher, but we always rode our big Harleys. We loved riding our bikes. And we would always stop at the biker bars and tell people about Jesus. When I went to Bible school, there was a thing in that says I wasn't allowed to go to bars anymore. So I went up to the, uh, to the president and I said, like, this is my ministry, going to biker bars. Do I have to stop? And they said, Clarence, for you, you can go to biker bars. That was his ministry. That's where he was able to shine his light. Now, I'm not sure I would want to go to a biker bar, but Clarence was able to do that. That was his ministry. That was where he shone. Your salt and light living changes lives. Paulus and Silas stood around and said, hey, we're still here. And then, verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the most complimentary question that anyone could ever ask of you. I've seen your life. I've seen your faith. I've seen your unwavering passions. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now you created that thirst. I've seen you worship when you shouldn't have been worshiping. I've heard you preach when they told you to stop. I've seen your God act. I've seen it. Now I want it. What must I do to have what you have. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Call upon His name and you become a new creation. Call on Him and you become God's masterpiece. Call on Him and you become an overcomer. Call on Jesus and you become salt of the earth, light of the world. When you call on Jesus, you'll never be the same again. When you know Him, it's not when you go to church. It's when you know Him you will be salt and light. You can't stop it. It just happens. Sometimes the influence is felt immediately. Other times it may take years. I remember seeing kids in youth groups that I was part of when I was a youth leader. And uh, I would hear maybe 20 years later I would meet them. And these kids who were rambunctious and uh, sometimes you're kind of going, I don't know if they're even listening. And it turns out he's a pastor. You know, the kid that didn't even listen is now leading worship at the church. Sometimes it takes years. Someone you connect with. And years later, they respond. Maybe you've got somebody you've given up on a long time ago. Don't you dare give up. Salt and light. Salt and light. Love and grace. 
Not running from the darkness, but shining into it with the love of Christ. That's who God created you to be. And He can use you to make a difference. Verse 32 and 33 of our story, then they spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer, to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. It's an amazing story with the jailer. This single event brought about by the birth of the whole church in Philippi. Two people sharing with one guy whose whole family was changed and it overflowed into a church. That's why you're called the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You're not just a guy or gal who goes to church and believes moral things. You're a divine change agent. You are an undercover influencer. There's times when you work behind the scenes. There's times when you just shine boldly. God created you. That's just who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a Christ-empowered influencer. Your life will make a difference. I remember working in uh, home hardware in the uh, 90s, and one of the things that came in at Christmas time was a fiber optic Christmas tree. Now, it's kind of gone out of date. You don't see too many anymore, but these were really cool. They had optic fibers that went from a light in the base all the way up and out through the branches, and you didn't even see these things. But turn it on, and the lights shone on the outside. Rather than lights being hung in the trees, the light source was from inside the tree. It illuminated all these fiber optics in the branches. It illustrates the words of Jesus. You are the light of the world. Just as he is the vine, we are the branches. He's the light, and it shines through us. If we're a follower of Jesus, he lives within our lives. Jesus is our light source. Our lives serve as a means for the light of Christ to shine through so that all can see the beauty of Christ. The light of the world has been born in our hearts so that he might continue to shine in a dark world. When Jesus came, he said, I am the light of the world. Now to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. Be salt, be light. It's who you are in Christ. That's the secret to influencing your world for Christ. Let Jesus shine through you. Let him shine through your brokenness. Let him shine through your pain and weakness. Don't hide your life from others. Instead, let them see what God is doing in your life as he works to heal the brokenness and pain. Be genuine and real with people. Don't hide the struggle. Don't hide what Jesus is doing for you in the struggle. Instead, let Jesus shine through you to provide insight and joy to those who see you even in your pain. John Stott, uh, in one of his sermons years ago, his British pastor said these words, If the house is dark at night, there's no sense blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If the meat goes bad, there is no sense in blaming the meat that's what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where 
is the church. My dear friends, let's just be the church wherever God puts us this week. Just be salt. Just be light. Charles Spurgeon made a significant statement regarding the light. He says, the Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world doesn't read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Jesus said it this way, in the same way, let your light shine before men. I like Tyler Edwards. (coughs) He has a strange book called Zombie Church. He said, bombs have what's called a blast radius. It's defined as the distance from the source that will be affected when an explosion occurs. Churches should have a love radius. Anyone within 20 miles of a church should know it and be positively affected by the church's love. What's our love radius? Do we have a positive effect on the people around us? We can, simply by being who we are. Salt in a decaying world, light in a dark earth. I hope you're encouraged to say to God, I want to be salt, I want to be light. Think for a moment about individuals who don't know the freedom and the power and the grace available to them through the risen Christ. It would be a husband, wife, son, daughter, grandchildren. It could be a brother, sister, someone in your class, someone that you see at the gym, someone at your office. It could be your doctor, your boss, your dad. Bring their names to the front of your mind right now. In your mind, just say those names before God as Carmen comes to pray for us.